Ksuvas Perktes Mishnehe 9.5. In the previous Mishnah, we established that there is a scenario in which one could force his wife to make a Shvua before collecting her Ksuba. That was really a part of what's called the Shvua Sapitropus, someone who has a fiduciary responsibility, acting as your trustee, your agent, your proxy um, in your financial affairs. So you can force them whenever you want to take a Shvua that they did not um, take money that wasn't belonged to them, and that's even just as a suspicion, not as a tainus bari, not a certain claim. I'm not sure if I made it perfectly clear in the previous recording, but if I didn't, let me make it clear now. This rule of the shvuas apitropus, making this fiduciary who's taking responsibility for your finances, or working your business, etc., um, you can make them take a shvua, that applies to any apitropus, any fiduciary, and not just um, one's wife. So one's wife is just another fiduciary. That's the point of the Mishnah. She's treated like the others. In any case, the point of our Mishnah here is that there is the opportunity where a woman would have to take a shvuah before collecting her ksuba. And in fact, as we'll learn later on in the parak in the 7th and 8th Mishnah, there are other types of scenarios where a woman would have to take a shvuah to swear before she collects on her ksuba. The point of our Mishnah here is that what happens if the husband waives his right to get his wife to take any of those shvuos. And the gist of the mission will be, of course, that will work. And if he does formally waive his rights to force her to take a shvuah, she won't have to take a shvuah. Any of the shvuos that she might have to take, both the ones we learned already about and subsequent ones. Okay, that's basically the topic of our Mishnah. And it kind of echoes the mission we had earlier on in terms of the exact language of what he said and what that which types of obligations he's actually waiving. Okay, um, one small point, which is really a side point, but I need to explain it just because the word neder appears in our Mishnah right away. So a neder, which is not the same as a shvua, um, is not in truth applicable to anything I said up to now. A neder is saying something is forbidden to you as if it were a korban, sacrificial meat, etc. The reason why neder plays in at all to the story over here is that... Um, it's a story in, in Gittin, the fourth paragraph of Gittin. It says like this, If a woman were to come and claim from her husband's heirs, meaning the, her, his sons, her ksuba, so it's very possible that she will rationalize having taken money um, in the context of taking care of those those very heirs, for example, um, and therefore, she'll feel that she didn't take anything towards her ksuba, when in fact, um, she may indeed have taken something that didn't belong to her. And the Chazal were concerned she would um, unwittingly, unintentionally, um, do a shvuas shava, swear falsely. And since swearing falsely um, is shvuas shekra, I should say, a swearing falsely is a um, very severe, it's one of the chamuros, one of the most severe crimes one can do, because essentially one... When he takes a shavua, he basically says, as much as I believe that Hashem is for real, I believe that I, in this case, am owed my full ksuba. The, the, the consequences, like, you know, so the spiritual consequences are very severe. And that being the case, Chazal decided that women shouldn't take a shavua in such a scenario when they're facing the heirs uh, of her their late husband, because they might swear falsely, having rationalized what they've done, and that being the case, uh, they said no shvua. The problem is if not, they're not taking a shvua, they can't collect on their ksuba. And that being the case, the solution was um, that Rabbi Gamil made a takana, Rabbi Gamil Hazaken made a takana that 
they won't take a shvua, but the woman would essentially structure her her um, claim um, to reinforce it with a neder. And basically that would mean she would say something like, every type of, let's say, you know, all fruit should be forbidden to me um, if I am not entitled to my ksuba, payment in full, not really because I took something already for it. So she's basically having some other commitment, which is binding on her, but that's not a, sh- a formal shvua. Okay, that's called a nether. It's really a side point on the topic of mission all, but the mission does mention the dharms so have to include that in the explanation. So here the mission says inside, Kasavla, if he, the husband, wrote to her in a contract at the time of her getting married, and the truth is it's not about writing it, he similarly could have given her an oral commitment, um, just speaking out in front of witnesses, let's say, it would similarly be binding. And he said to her, Neder ushavua enliyalayach. I have no claim on you to make either a neder or a shavua in the context of collecting your ksuba. Um, and the neder really is not really appropriate here, but the idea is, as I explained before, it could come into play later on with the with the heirs and so on. Enu yachol The din is, since he made that commitment, it's binding. So when she comes to collect her ksuba, he may not make her take a shavua. Um, neither the shavuos apitropos that we saw in the previous Mishnah or the other shavuos we'll see in 7th and 8th Mishnah coming up. Aval, what he can do is mashbiahu es yorsheha ves habam bershusa. What he can do is make other people who are trying to collect on the ksuba take a shavua. In other words, he can say, I trusted her, I committed to her, my wife, I won't make her swear before she collects. Um, so the scenario, that scenario would be something like, you know, he, first he divorces her, um, and then she comes to collect um, from the ksuba. Or if in the case of Mishnah now, where we're having your sheha, her heirs are coming, it means that he divorced this woman, and now before she can collect on her ksuba, she dies. So her heirs, her children now come to their, let's call it their stepfather, for argument's sake, and say, we are coming to, you know, we're coming to collect the ksuba that was owed to our mother. So the Mishnah here is saying, He, the husband, can force these heirs of the dead woman to take a shavua prior to collecting on the ksuba. Now that shavua that I'm talking about here is a different shavua. That's referred to as the shavuas hayorshim, the shavua, the oath that an inheritor makes, and the um, that applies across the board also. The idea is that whenever a person is collecting on an IOU that he has in his possession that he got from his say his father, in this case his mother. So he has to take a shavua um, that, to the best of his knowledge, this thing was never paid. So meaning if he, on the deathbed, if the parent said, you know, I was repaid, um, or on the, you know, when he goes to the paperwork of the estate, he finds some sort of receipt that shows this thing was repaid, so then of course um, he, he has no right to collect. So here, whenever an heir is coming to collect an IOU that he got from his parent, He's an inheritor of the parent. So he has to, before collecting, he has to take a shvua that to the best of his knowledge, this has not been repaid, and he's owed the uh, the money in full. So the point here of Mishnah is, the father can make this stepchild make such a shvua. And same goes, if the person who's claiming is not a child at all, but rather, haba'im birshusa, someone who's coming with her authorization. The setup here is, and I will keep it very simple, because I don't want to go off topic with how this all works. There's ways for a woman essentially to take her, her ksuba, which essentially is an IOU from 
the husband, and sell it to a third party. You know, let's say she just she, she finds someone who runs you know payday loans, and he said, and she says, listen, I need I need 150 zuz right now. I have a ksuba that's my husband has to pay me on it, 200 zuz. So can you give me 150 zuz now, and you'll be the one who's in charge of collecting on the 200 zuz from the ksuba. That person essentially gets assigned her ksuba, and then he comes birshusa with her authorization to collect on the ksuba. So that guy, if he wants to collect from the ksuba, even though she had been um, given a waiver, she wouldn't have to take a oath, but just because she was given the waiver, that waiver is not transferable, so now when this fellow comes with authorization, from the payday loans guy, whatever it is, so he would have to take a shvua before collecting on that ksuba. If he gave a more expansive, more robust waiver. He said, Not only do I have, I waive my claims to have you um, swear regarding the collection of your ksuba, I also waive the requirement for your heirs or the person who comes with your authorization to make a shvua swearing prior to collecting the ksuba. So then that's also binding. So the Mishnah says, Therefore, He can't force her to take a Shavua. Neither the woman herself, because he waived that, and nor her heirs, and nor the people who are coming with her authorization. Meaning, they can come with, present the Ksuba and get paid in full without making any Shavuas, because that was the commitment he made when he wrote her that contract, or for that matter, made that royal commitment. Aval, however, that doesn't mean that all um, possible shvuos or nadarim are waived. Because your shav must be an osa. If he subsequently dies and she's alive, so she hasn't been paid her ksuba, he first divorced her, he owes it to her, but then he dies prior to paying her. So she'll now present her ksuba to his children, his heirs, demanding payment to the 200 zuz. So those kids your shav, his inheritors, his heirs, must be an osa. They can still force her to take a shvua. Because what do they know? I mean, maybe she was repaid before he died, and they don't know. So these people are are entitled again to demand her. Just because the father waived any requirement for her to take the shvua, she will have to take a shvua. And as I explained before in the Hakdama, really, it's not a shvua they'll take, but rather she'll take a nether. She'll make a nether that will you know, reinforce her, her claim on the ksuba. And same goes of S. Yorsheha, same would go of her heirs are trying to collect um, from, from his heirs. Vesa Bambrushasa. And same goes um, if she authorized the third party, the payday loans guy, to come collect her ksuba, and meanwhile she he died, so then the his inheritors who have to pay out the ksuba from the estate um, can force that third party authorized person to take a shvua before being paid out because he waived any claim on getting a shvua to him, but that didn't waive shvuas that would have to be given to his heirs, your shav. If, however, he makes the most far-reaching, robust waiver altogether, and he says, Neder shvua ein li, not only do will I not have any claim, ein li means I don't have it. The explanation, the understanding is not I don't have in the present or past tense, but rather lo yeli will not be I will not have in the future, is what it really means across the whole this whole mission, etc. So there's no claim for me to force you to make a shvua. Vlola, you're shy, nor will my heirs be able to make you take a shvua. Vlola, bayam, bershusi, alaych. 
and nor will other people who are my authorized persons be able to make you take a shvua. I'll come back to who those people are in a second. Val your shayach, val habayim b'shusich. And not only can I not force you to make a shvua to me or my kids or the other people I authorize, but also I will not force your heirs or your authorized persons to whom you might transfer the rights of your ksuba to have to make a shvua. So then, that's binding, says the Mishnah, and that being the case, in Yochul Lohu, neither he won't be able to make her swear, not him, the, the husband himself, Lor Yorshav, and nor will his heirs, Veloha Barmbershuso, nor the people who come in his authority, I'll explain that, same, the same people, I'll explain them in a second in the end, Lo Osa, none of those people, neither him nor his heirs, nor the other people who he's authorized um, in his place, um, will not be able to make her, Velo Yorsheha, nor her heirs, Velo Habayim Bershusa, nor the people who are coming with her authority, meaning to whom she assigned the right to collect Kusuba, none of them will be forced to make a, a Shavua before they collect. Now, the people who I glossed over that are um, in his Rishus, if you will, so who, who are these people? Habayim um, Bershusi. So that is, remember, when it comes to a, um, the creditors on the estate, so the woman's ksuba becomes like a senior lien. She is she's in first place. And if that attaches, that lien attaches to all of his property. As far as the mission is concerned, it's just talking about real estate, but fine, it's real estate. So let's say he had a house and she moved to the house with him. But later on in life, he sold the house. Okay, that, that house is lien to her ksuba. So if later on, you know, he sold the house to Johnny and then afterwards, when he dies, it turns out there's not enough money left in the estate to pay her 200 zuz for a ksuba. So she can go to Johnny, the guy who bought her husband's house, and say, listen, I have a ksuba. My ksuba predates your purchase of this house. And therefore, your house is lean to me. And I want to get paid my 200 zuz out of your house. Either return the house to me or we'll liquidate the house, get the proceeds, whatever the story is. So the fact is, she can go to the person who bought this fellow's, her husband's house, and, and demand the payment of her ksuba. So that's the guy we're talking about, who is essentially in the Rishus, he, he's, he's um, with authorization in the place of the husband, because he ended up you know, buying this encumbered property. That's how it goes. So the point is, the Mishnah is saying, if the husband says from the outset, if I sell my house, you'll, even the guy who buys my house, sorry, if I, if you, when you marry me, I will waive the rights not just for you to swear to me, but also to my heirs and also to the people who buy my property, etc. So that's binding, says the Mishnah, and she wanted to make any shvuas, and if he, she includes her heirs and her other authorized persons, so she, nor her heirs, nor her authorized per- people, will ever have to take any shvuas, not to him, not to his heirs, and not to his authorized people. Lahalacha, um, so certainly he can waive any oaths to him, any shvuah that's passed me to him, and that's binding. Um, the din is, however, that he is not able. This is based on a Gemara elsewhere. Um, he's not able to waive the rights of the purchaser of his house to demand the shvua. So even, even meaning, even if the husband says, you want to take an oath, you want to swear to the guy who buys my house, um, she does, that's the din. As far as him waiving the rights of his heirs demanding a, um, a shvua, so that actually is a machlokus. The, Ram, the Shulchan Aruch says that he could waive it, but the Ramah brings another opinion. Um, the Ramah says that actually, 
um, even if he said that she wouldn't have to make a shvua to his heirs, she still does have to. Okay, that's based on the sheet of Abba Shol, Ben Ima Miriam, and the Gemara and Ksubas, um, Pezai, and Lafam Ralef. So, uh, the point is that he can't, the halach will be for Ashkenazim, that although, notwithstanding our Mishnah, he could waive any rights to demand her or her heirs or her authorized person to swear to him. He cannot waive the rights, even if he said he does, um, to make it that his heirs or his other authorized person, the one who buys his property, um, can't demand the shvua. They can demand the shvua.